0: God, we we do thank you and praise you for sending your son to die for us, Lord. That he was born with the mission, and that mission was to grow up, to minister, to perform miracles, Father, to to come and to to be crucified, to be the ultimate perfect sacrifice needed for the forgiveness of our sins, God, and to fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament. Lord, we thank you so much for that sacrifice, God. We thank you for... Being that only King that that did that for me, Lord, that you you sent your one and only Son to die upon the cross for for my sin and not just my sin, but the sins of the world for whoever would come to believe in you, Lord, and in and Him, and, and Father, we just ask this morning, God, that you would be with us, be with the message, God, allow um, everything that is said to be your truth, and God, just to just. Re- Make, the, make your word come alive for us this morning, and God, that we would just be able to look and to, to really uh, discern and decipher what, what maybe our culture and tradition tell us about the Christmas story versus what, what your word says or even doesn't say, God, about the Magi, the wise men, and, and their role in this Christmas story. So God, this morning now, as we look at your word, give me the words, Lord, and, and for those who are struggling this morning, God, of... Maybe it's just a hard time of year not having a loved one with them for the first time for the holidays or, or, or God, just also um, just those dealing with sicknesses and health issues along with relational strife and issues, God, that you would just comfort us and bring healing where there needs to be healing and comfort where there needs to be comfort, God. And we just ask and we lift all of those in your name. Amen. Good morning. I hope I hope you guys all had a Merry Christmas. Um, you know, it was pretty easy for us this year. We hosted, so uh, <laughs> I say easy as far as like you know, we didn't have to we didn't have to go anywhere. So that was really nice. Um, so, but anyway, uh, we're, I'm just so excited to be with you guys this morning, and I'm thankful for Pastor Dave for the opportunity uh, to share God's word with you this morning. And uh, today, as I said, we're going to be looking at the Magi or the Wise Men, and uh, the title of my message this morning is "Wise Men Still Seek Him" because I believe. That if you want to be wise, if you want to be a wise man or a wise woman of God, that you should still be seeking Him with all that you have here in 2019, especially with the way our world is going, and it is in, and uh, and so um, we're going to be looking at uh, these characters, these these uh, individuals, the wise men. You know, some people say they were kings; other people say they were. Uh, this, they were that, you know, and we're going to look and see uh, who they really were uh, this morning and where their origins are from. And uh, I know some people give them names, you know, there's Balthazar and Melchior, and I always forget the third one because I I know, like, I always leave the third guy out. He was probably the middle child too or something. I don't know, but no, they weren't brothers. But anyway, uh, there's a lot of things that our culture and tradition builds upon that, you know, that they're like, oh, these were three guys, this was their names, this is that. We, we actually don't find that in God's Word. Um, and this morning, we're going to be in God's Word together, and I actually. I apologize. I don't have it on the screens for you except for the references, so you're going to have to open your own Bibles. So I hope that's okay with you. Um, So we're going to be in the book of Daniel's chapters, well, Daniel chapters one and two. We'll be around it, and then we'll eventually uh, end up in Matthew two. So uh, you you guys can go to those spots uh, while I continue talking for you. Uh, but anyway, uh, again, we're told so many different things by our culture. You know, we're we're the wise men right at the manger. Like, you know, whenever I see a nativity scene, I always see the wise men right there included with everybody, and I'm just like, were they there? Were they not there? You know, what are we told? What do we know? Uh, what don't we know? Um I'm of the belief that they didn't arrive until uh, much later, after Jesus had been born, and he was probably around two years old. So if I I was gonna like go and drive by someone's house and kind of steal their manger scene, if I, no, just I'm not gonna do that. Um, but it would have been funny uh, if I did, and if it was one of you. Um, but I would have the nativity, and I'd have you know baby Jesus, Mary, Joseph, the angel, the shepherds, you know everybody over here, animals. But then I'd probably like put the wise men like. Like off the stage, like somewhere, because uh, we're as we look at them this morning is is they had a long journey to get to where Jesus was to to get where he would be, um, and we're going to look at that journey. So this morning, wise men still seek him. I asked the question: Who were the real magi? Who were the real magi? We're told um, that. They were wise men from the east, most likely uh, Bible scholars and other pastors believe it was uh, Persia or modern day even Iran uh, now currently. Uh, so they would come from the east, you know, where Babylon was, uh, because whereas we're going to look in Daniel, we're going to talk about the exile this morning and how uh, he took some of the Jewish uh, men uh, from Israel back with him in exile after he conquered Jerusalem. Um, but they were coming from the east, approximately eight to 900 miles away. I guarantee you, none of you came that far just for church this morning. Maybe you're in visiting family, but you didn't come 800 miles just to come and be disappointed that I'm speaking and not Pastor Dave. But anyway, um, just kidding. Uh, Again, who were the real Magi? They were men who were wise, is what we know and what we're told, but they also, they came from that region. Uh, They were Gentiles, and I say that because they weren't Jewish. Uh, we, we, don't, we aren't told if they were Jewish, you know they weren't, uh, but they had great devotion to the one true God. And we're going to see that by the fact that they make this epic and incredible journey uh, and, and see how uh, this unfolds and develops for us. It says, they followed the star a long distance to see Jesus, whereas the Jewish authorities, those who supposedly were waiting for this Messiah to come, who had been anxious for his arrival and, and everything, who were less than five miles away, we're gonna to come to find out that they didn't even really. They're like, "What are you talking about, King of, King of the Jews?" You know, Herod's the King of the Jews. You know, we're we're gonna look at that this morning. How some how people so far removed, who were outsiders in a sense, they, they had more devotion to to Christ, to Jesus, to the Messiah, than those who supposedly knew everything there was to know about Him and where He'd be born and and, and everything. Uh, they didn't even go see him. It's not in Scripture that the authorities in Jerusalem, they never even went to, to the manger or to where he would have been born or let alone were aware of him at the time. So who were the Magi? They were men from the east, likely Persia, modern-day Iran, 800 to 900-mile journey, didn't have Uber, didn't have Lyft, no planes, no trains, no automobiles. Uh was a, it was a long journey, probably on camel uh, and partially on foot, I'm sure, and it would have taken them a lot longer than just, you know, like an hour or a couple weeks. It would, it would have taken them a great, great distance, uh, a great amount of period of time to, to come and see him. So how did they know about the Christ child? If these, Brian, if these are guys that were Gentiles, they weren't even Jewish and they didn't know anything about him uh, that we know of, how, how did they know about the Christ child? That's a good question. And this answer is going to be found in the Old Testament, and that's why we're going to Daniel together this morning, all right? So uh, they also were believed to be specialists in astronomy, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. So hence the following the star, they knew where the star, star would appear. Um, and so again, they were from the east, and, and we believe that and know that because Nebuchadnezzar, who besieges Jerusalem in approximately 605 .BC, is when he, he goes and he starts to uh, wanting to conquer Jerusalem, and he, and he eventually uh, wins out, and he goes in and he takes back the spoils of war, and in this case, it's people, because he's going to want them to serve him and to honor him and to, to be in his service. Uh, he takes back spoils of war in this case people. And, and not just any people, and we're not even told a given amount of exact people, but we are given the names of four that we'll look in a second. But it says in Daniel chapter one, verses three to four, says, then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So again, uh, back then, uh, when you were when you conquered a country, you took back the spoils of war. So that wasn't just like you know uh, materials or animals or different things. It also included people because you would then enslave uh, those people and use them for your service. So Nebuchadnezzar is doing that here. And and again, it's very interesting what he says next. It says, "Select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men." I take offense to that. Um, no. <laughs> He said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with the knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. So there's a training time here. He, he wanted the best of the best of, of, of the nation that they just conquered. He wants the brightest, you know, the young, like he wants, he wants good-looking young men who are smart, who are wise, and, and who have, are gifted with different knowledge and judgment and different things like that. And then he wants to take them and then also instill in them. The practices and the customs of Babylon and their literature and their language, and we'll see that in a second. But again, they're coming in exile as captives, and they would, by chance, they were able and allowed to bring different possessions, and possibly, and we, I believe, that they would have had uh, the scriptures uh, of the Old Testament. They would have had of the Pentateuch, of the books of Moses, and those writings, and some of the other prophets. Um, and we'll see that uh, in a little bit here. But he said, uh, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. So again, he wants the best of the best. We aren't told exactly how many, as I said before, but in verse 6, we're told this. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young, cho- young men chosen from all the tribe of Judah. So they were in a group uh, of captives of, of the exiles. We're given these four guys' names, and I believe there's a reason for that. Um, and again, pay attention to those names. It's important. Daniel especially, the most important one, because... This is the book about him, uh, well, about God, but about how God uses him, and he's going to come into play and be a big role of what we talk about uh, today. So we're, we're told that there are these four young men. They were all friends. They were coming together, and they were in captivity together. Do you think captivity was a good thing? No, they weren't happy. They were ripped away from their homes and their families and taken away, and they're living in some foreign distant land and you know, yeah, okay, maybe they have an opportunity to serve the king, but the consequences of getting anything wrong, I think, would outweigh, like, any joy they could have felt. But anyway, we're also told this in Daniel 1, verses 17 through 20. It says this, God gave these four young men, so again, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, he gave these four young men an unusual aptitude, so they were smart, And for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams." when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. So it says training period. Most Bible scholars believe this could have been between two and three years, possibly, that they would have had to learn and had to study and become uh, accustomed to uh, all of the different things that they had to learn. So it was almost like they were in college for, for a little bit um, there. And it says, the king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So out of all the captives that he had enlisted into the king's royal service or to, to serve and, and to be uh, these wise men, he, he says these four are, are the ones that impress him the most. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. So, last sentence there, magicians, enchanters, entire in the entire kingdom. So, Babylon was not a Christian nation. They, they did not believe in the one true God. In fact, King Nebuchadnezzar worshipped false gods and idols, and he served them. Uh, he wasn't following the one true God, so of course he consulted sorcerers, magicians, enchanters, diviners, different things, trying to uh, gather knowledge and, and be able to make a decision in every, every avenue possible. So this was not uncommon. It'd be uncommon for us, but it's not uncommon for that period of time to have magicians and enchanters uh, in your royal service, in your court to help uh, make your decision. See, that last part is very important to pay attention to because tipi- cause King Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to have this dream and we're not going to go into the specifics of the dream this morning because Pastor Dave has taught on that dream and does a very well job, good job with it. I'm going to leave that to him the next time he, he preaches it because it's all about the end times and it's about what's going to happen in the future uh, with Babylon and the Roman Empire, all, all sorts of different things, and he does a great job uh, teaching that. But what I want us to focus on is the fact that King Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to have this dream and he's going to call upon his magicians, his enchanters, his, his diviners, the wise men, including Daniel and his friends, he's going to call upon them to interpret this dream, and typically, what would happen is he would call upon his wise men, his interpreters, his enchanters. He'd call upon them and say, "Hey, I just had this dream. This is what happened. Help me! Help me understand what it means. What does this exactly mean?" However, if you read the entire chapter, which we're not doing today, we're, we're skipping around a little bit. But the, in Daniel, if you read, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's kind of grown tired. Of, his, of these magicians and enchanters because he kind of is getting the feeling that they're just telling him what uh, he wants to hear. Like he would have to tell them about the dream and then they would interpret it and always like kind of make it out to be something good for him and, and everything. He's kind of a yes man uh, in a sense. That is what he was thinking of his, uh, his wise men. And so he had grown tired and impatient with them and he suspected again that they weren't really able to do the things that they could claim to do, uh, which is interpret these dreams. So, uh, he tells them, "I want you to interpret my dream. This is the dream I had," I, or he just says, "I have a dream. Like I've had, I have had this dream." Doesn't tell them anything about it, and I want you to interpret it. And I'm not going to reveal anything about it to you. I'm paraphrasing here. I'm speaking for them. And uh, and so, basically, the wise men kind of like are like, "Well, how do you expect us to do that? Just tell us a little bit." Just tell us something, something from it. And he's like, no, I'm not going to tell you anything. And this happens back and forth a couple times. And finally, uh, they just say, there's no one on earth that can do this. Like, nobody, without you telling us anything, nobody is going to be able to interpret your dream. And he goes and he basically says, well, I guess you're not so wise. I'm going to kill all of you. I'm going to order all of you to death, uh, to be put to death. So his chief of staff, his, his royal bodyguard, they're going around. They're rounding up all the wise men. Uh, and that, again, remember, this includes Daniel and his three friends. Uh, and other exiles from judah and from from Jerusalem and, and israel he 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 goes and he's gathering all these people up, and daniel's like well what's going on like what's what's happening here? Why are we getting all put together and basically tells him nobody can interpret this king's dream um, and so he's ordered everybody to be put to death um, that serves his royal court and obviously that's not good for daniel, so daniel's kind of uh, I, I don't i don't want to die um so he he then uh, decides to do something brave and asks if he could have a chance, if he could have a shot at interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He, he wants, he, he's like, hey, let, let me give it a shot. Let me, let me try. So, so here's, here's what happens. In, verse, in, in chapter 2, uh, verses 17 and 18, uh, after he's already had this interaction with the, the king's guard and, and, and the chief of staff telling him, like, I want to I try to do this, he goes home with his friends. So in verse... Uh, In verse 17 of chapter 2, he goes, Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, so that they might request compassion from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Again... um, God gave him that ability uh, and, and, and unusual aptitude and ability to interpret visions and, and dreams. And, and again, it's not of Daniel. It's, it's only by Almighty God that has instilled and given him this gift uh, in this case scenario. So, so he goes home and he prays because he knows, and, and as we should know as Christians, when we're facing something, when we're, when we're up against something, we have to start with prayer. We have to get on our knees and pray. That's our first thing we have to do, uh, Right? Are you with me there? Okay, good. <laughs> just checking to see if you're awake. Um, but we, we need to pray. So he goes home and he, and he, and he gets together with his friends. is like, we got to pray. I have this task I got to do. And they're like, you really accepted doing it? Like, no, I, we don't have that. But I could just picture his friends be like, what are you, crazy? Like, you know, you're, you're going to do this and you haven't even known about the dream. But they had faith and they prayed to God asking for this interpretation, this revelation of this mystery uh, that God would give him. So God does reveal the dream uh, and the inter- gives him the interpretation and the vision. And Daniel then in verses 20 to 23 goes on to praise God for that and give him all glory and honor because he knows it's not of himself. He's just not that smart. It's only from God that he has the ability to do this. And then in verse 24, Daniel goes before Nebuchadnezzar and his, and his guard and says, okay, I'm ready. I want to I give this a shot. So picking up in verse 27, this is, uh, this is what we see here in verse 27. So it says Daniel replied, "No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about." So again, he's acknowledging he's he's kind of saying and I, I can just imagine King Nebuchadnezzar's face here is like, "Okay, I've heard this already." You know, like like nobody can do this apparently, you know, so what good are you to me?" But it says, "No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about." But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. King Nebuchadnezzar, I cannot interpret your dream. I don't have a good answer for you, but my God does. But, but the God I serve does because he's the revealer of the mysteries. Again, he, he takes the credit off of himself or, or any, any seemingly act of wanting to take credit or glory. He, and he gives it right back to God because he's like, I can't do this, but God can. And it says, he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Again, the future and the rise and fall of Babylon and other empires that will happen in in, in the end times and different things regarding that. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And to the revealer of mysteries showed you, that's God, What? is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Again, I am not special. This is only because God has revealed it to me to be able to interpret it for you, King, that this is what's going to happen. And then they go through the whole dream. And as I said, we're we're not going through that whole dream today. Um, and again, he explains this revelation to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's amazed. King Nebuchadnezzar is, is taken aback by this, that, that he's actually interpreting and is telling him what his dream was. And again, he didn't tell Daniel anything about it, so it, it must be uh, by some way that, that Daniel found out by, by God. And so this is what we see in chapter 2, verses 46 through 48 of Daniel's interaction with King Nebuchadnezzar. It says, then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. Again, remember, this is a king. Probably doesn't get off his throne for anybody. And he's throwing himself down before Daniel in worship. And it says, the king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of God's. The Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. So he, 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 he throws himself down in worship in front of Daniel, and then he gives the credit where the credit is due, and he acknowledges that the God that Daniel served, in fact the same God that we serve and live for today, who sent his son to die for us, is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the greatest of, of God's and, and, and kind of acknowledging that and giving him glory for that. And, and then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. And he made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all of his wise men. So notice that. Notice that last verse where Daniel is placed over. He's placed over all the wise men, the wise men that would come, the same wise men that would come to see Jesus centuries later, Daniel had a huge influence and impact with that. So this last verse is that link between Daniel and our magi of the Christmas story. See, Daniel would be over the wise men of Babylon even as kings came and went. You know, you had Darius, you had Cyrus, and other kings until Daniel would pass away. um, And he would have influence on them, which would last past his death. Because again, they came into exile, they were captives, and they would have wanted to preserve their customs and their traditions, so they would have had and their faith, they would have had the Old Testament scriptures that were written at that time, that they would have had different prophecies, including this prophecy that we're going to look at in the book of Numbers, because this goes, by the way, back further than Daniel. Because this is all part of God's divine plan and his amazing plan that he has to orchestrate, because the beautiful thing about our God is, is even when we don't maybe see him working, he's working. He's, he's, he's doing things that maybe we don't understand at the time or allowing us to go through things at the time that we don't understand. And, but he has a purpose for each and every single thing. He had a purpose for Daniel being put over all of the wise men. And he had a purpose for this story out of the Old Testament in numbers that we're going to look at real quick and how that would tie in and play uh, with, with our Savior and the plan for the coming Messiah. See, Daniel played an important part in this true account that really believed it happened. And I don't believe that this is just a book of stories or a fairy tale or anything. This is, this is truth to me, this is absolute truth, you can't tell me otherwise. I hold this dear and this is the word of God and I take it as that, every single word of it. So it's not a story necessarily, it's an account of that actually happened, that this really happened. So with that being said, Going even further back into the book of Numbers, in chapter 24, verse 17, uh, this, this is out of, a, out of an account that um, there's this wicked king, King Balak, and he wanted to rule and conquer Jerusalem, and Israel was in the way, and he wanted to, he wanted to, he wanted to capture them and, and enslave their, that nation, and, and so he hires this soothsayer, this magician or sorcerer, whatever you want to label him, I was a soothsayer, Um, so he was a a magician, a diviner. He hires this man named Balaam, and you know maybe some of you have heard you know Balaam's donkey, you know different different things with that. But he hires Balaam to curse the nation of Israel. He hires this guy. He's like, here's I'm going to give you all this money, all this wealth, and different things. I want you to curse this nation. And Balaam couldn't curse the nation. And you guys, this is a great, great thing for you guys to read if you guys want to go back into the book of Numbers. It would be, it would be awesome for you this week uh, sometime or even later this afternoon to read this full account. But basically it comes down to Balaam will not curse Israel. In fact, God uses him to bless Israel. Oh, good job. Whoever's, whoever's looking it up already, I love it. Um, anyway, no, but God God will use that for a great a greater thing. He was going to use Balaam, uh, again, someone who's not Jewish, someone who is not following God. He's, he's a magician. He's a sorcerer. He's in the magic, different, different things. He, he's, he's so far from God, yet he's about to use him. And this is what happens because he uses Balaam, a soothseer hired by a wicked king to curse his nation, his people, Israel. He says this in a prophecy about our Messiah to come. I see him, but not now. I behold him but not near, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel, and he will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. God used someone who didn't even follow him to say that, to prophesy that, to speak that. And it's a beautiful reminder to me that God can and will use anybody for his glory. He could use a hurt, he could use a pain, he could use someone who's not even following him to, to bring about his, his divine plan. I, it just blows my mind, um, and it's so incredible. But see, God, he uses a soothsayer here, he uses the event of an exile. Again, we said that exile isn't a good thing. Um, he, he, he used that, he used King Nebuchadnezzar and then bringing them and enlisting and, and, and these young men into his training program to, to make them wise men and, and to be smart and to learn and grow in knowledge and different things he he uses all of that and he'll eventually he'll use the magi that we see in the Christmas story he'll he'll use all of that to bring about his divine plan this is so much bigger than than just new testament guys this is this is going back you know into the old testament it's really cool to see how god connects the dots and that everything is related And it's so cool to see that. So 1,400 years after that prophecy, 500 years after Daniel was taken into exile before the wise men would leave from Babylon, from the east, to come and find and seek out baby Jesus, or the child, the Christ child, I should say. So that's the the connecting point there for us this morning, From, from Daniel and Numbers to to now these wise men that we see coming in Matthew chapter 2, it, it's incredible to me that, that God was working all of these details out in the background. So in Matthew 2, if you're there, uh, verses 1 through 12, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. He was disturbed because he's like, what do you mean king of the Jews? I'm king of the Jews. That's me. I, I didn't get born. I'm, I'm right here. You know, He and, and, and he felt threatened and he, he was disturbed and angered by this. And even all of Jerusalem, the people who were supposed to be lying in wait for their Messiah, the people who were supposed to be expecting Him, the people who God loved so much that He chose them as His people, this disturbed them. This news, this should be exciting. This should be good, right? This should should floor them and excite them, but rather they're disturbed. Why? Because they were content with the way things were going for them. That time, so when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asks them where the Messiah was to be born. In Beth, so he he's king of the Jews. He doesn't even he doesn't even know the scriptures. He doesn't even know these things. And you know, Herod was a bad king anyway, but he's also dumb too. Uh, anyway, he he doesn't even know. Where, where he is. So he, he asked the scribes and everything, and it takes them some time to bring it together, but it says, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Oh my goodness, would you imagine that, consulting that? You know, you're, you're supposed to be lying and wait for this Savior, this Messiah, and, and it had been a long time. They had just come out of these 400 years of silence where God didn't speak or anything through a prophet, but you should still be expecting and, and waiting anxiously for it. I know all of us are awaiting Christ's return, Right? We're waiting for him to come back again, and, and and so we live each day as if he could come back now or tomorrow. And, and But these people who were supposed to be expecting him, they, they weren't doing that. And it says, the prophet says, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly because he didn't want to make a public scene. He's like, okay, come to this back room here. We're going to you're going to secretly find out from them where and how the star uh, appeared, or, or what time the star appeared. So it says, uh, secretly found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Again, we're not we're not told this, um, but he sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him." No, he had ulterior motives. He wanted that. He wanted Jesus dead. He didn't even didn't even know or rec- acknowledge him as the Messiah. He just. He viewed him as an opponent and, a, and someone who was trying to take his throne. So, when they saw the star, or excuse me, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So as I said earlier, sometimes tradition and sometimes just cultural uh, things that we've accepted over the years, they kind of get jumbled in there with what we're told in the Bible or what we're not told uh, with the Bible. So again, like we don't know if there was just three wise men. We're told there's three gifts. We're not. We're not told there were th- exactly three magi. So these whole "we three kings" and, and all that stuff—that's a nice song and everything—but we don't know if there were only three for sure. It could have been two. Could have been a, a lot more. Could have been. But we're told there's three gifts, and there there had to be at least two of them because you know they're in plural. And also, uh, Bible scholars and, and others believe that they really didn't, they didn't show up at the manger. They would have shown up about two years later when Jesus was about two years old with his parents at a house in Bethlehem. And you might be wondering, well, Brian, wait a second. If they're still in Bethlehem, well, that's where Jesus was born, but didn't he, wasn't he raised in Nazareth? I have this to answer that question. And again, this isn't, this isn't found in the biblical text, so you can take this with a grain of salt if you want. But just remember who Mary and Joseph were. They were a betrothed couple who all of a sudden got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. How many of of their friends really and even maybe family members really bought that? Really thought that this was God's son inside of Mary, that this was the Messiah coming. I just I try to imagine the the social and the even the family dynamic there of maybe just kind of being abandoned by them and, and not wanting anything to do with them. You've disgraced us. We don't love you. You know, we, you, we never knew you. Different things like that. Again, not in Scripture. I'm just I'm just thinking through how, how this could be taken today, because unfortunately, that's how some of us would react to today, but we know it wouldn't happen today because it's already happened because of Jesus, and so just ignore that. But anyway, think about that. Think about maybe the the, the almost the Persecution they would have felt from, from their, their town that they were in, and, and for people, what people thought about them and what was being said about them. And, and even though they knew that this was the truth and this is what was happening, they couldn't prove it to anybody else. So that's, that's just my answer for that of why they would have maybe hung out in Bethlehem a little bit longer, even past the census. But, uh, and that's backed by some scholars and different things. But again, we're not told in scripture, so that's not, um, that's just kind of added there. So uh, But again, It says child, it doesn't say baby, it says home, it doesn't say in. it doesn't say anything about a manger there, it's to the home that they were in, the house. So these magi, again, three gifts, not necessarily three magi, probably weren't there at the manger, would have come a lot longer, long after for that. So we're told that they gave three gifts. See, the, the wise men, they, they worshiped and they, they, they worshiped Jesus and they brought honor to him. They brought honor to him uh, by bringing him three gifts. The first gift is, is gold, symbolizing that he was a king and his purity and his, and his authority, in a sense, that he was a king and they acknowledged that. Then the second gift they, they gave him was frankincense and, and symbolizing that he, he, was, he was the son of God and his spirit or his fragrance of his life almost like an incense that would be burning. And then lastly, the last gift, myrrh, which symbolizes that he was born, that he was destined to one day die. And we all are. We're all destined to die. But this was different. He was destined to die for the sins of the world. And this was the oil. This would have been used on him, on his body, to embalm his body after the crucifixion. <clears throat> so these wise men, they they again they they made this great journey, even when the people that were supposed to know the most about this coming Messiah had 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 no idea that they they made this long journey and this trip to come and worship him. They followed God's leading, and they didn't listen uh, to to man in this case, because you know Herod wanted them to come back to them, but he got they got warned in a dream by. Angel of the Lord telling him not to telling them not to go back to Herod because of what his motives were. And, and so they listened to God rather than listening uh, to man. And and the wise men, we can learn so much today from the Magi. We can learn so, so much as, as modern day or as as Christians in 2019, as followers of Jesus. And and it applies to us and it has a lot of meaning for us, this this Christmas story, this just even looking at, just at the Magi, and here's the first thing of how it applies to us. There's no outsiders when it comes to God. There's no outsiders when it comes to the family of God. He doesn't care where you've been, what you've done, who you are. He doesn't care about ethnicity, anything like that. He sent his son to die for the sins of the world. See, the, the Magi, they were outsiders by, by every means. They weren't Jewish. They weren't local. They... They really had no business being there, um, and they and and none of that mattered. See, Jesus came to die for all of us, for every single person who would believe in Him. And we get this in John three sixteen through seventeen. It says this: For God so loved the world, not not so God loved the people in this section or the people in that section, and not these two sections. God so loved the world, entire world, that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The world and whoever would believe in him. Not just just this section and, and that section and not these two. Every single person who would call upon the name of the Lord, who would accept him and believe in him, that He is their Savior, He is their Lord, and that He died on the cross for their sins. Anybody who would believe in that, He has come for you. He sent His Son for you. So there's no outsiders when it comes to God. And also, there's they are a great example of worship, these wise men, these magi. They, they come and, and they humble themselves and they they, they, they came, and they, they came a long distance, and we see in Matthew 2, verse 11, it says, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Also note that they're not worshiping Mary, they're worshiping him. Just saying that. Anyway, they went out of their way to worship. It cost them a lot to do it. It probably cost them, well, 800 miles, not by plane, train, automobile, or Uber. Probably a long time, cost them time and money and resources to get there. Maybe even their reputation of coming from their distant land, people are like, where are you going? For what? You're going you're gonna to go all that way for, for a star? Like just following this star? People might have thought they were ridiculous, but they did it anyway. They worshiped Jesus. They were a great example of worship. And also it applies to us. What does it mean for us is that God still leads us through every step of the journey that we're all walking on this journey called life. There's those of you in here who are following after Jesus and you're, and you're living for him. There's those in here who aren't. I'd be naive to think that everybody in here is, is following after him or living for him. I'd be naive to do that. But here's what we do know, is that God, if you trust him with your life and if you, if you accept and believe in him and his son and what he came to do for you, he will lead you through every step of the journey. See, as they pursued God, he continued to lead them and work out every single detail. I, I got to imagine a trip that long, there must have been some difficulties. The camel might, got, might have gotten sick or something, you know. I, I'm just trying to bring the realism and the realistic point of view to it for you guys. But, but understand that, that God works out every detail and he leads us through every step of our journey. And it says in Psalms 119, verse 105, "'Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path.'" again if you are a christian if you are a follower of jesus in 2019 you have to be in the word because this is your lamp to guide you every single step it's a lamp unto your feet it's not a not a floodlight you know not showing you the whole picture but as we are in his word and as we are following his leading it goes with us almost like a little flashlight like a lamp for our feet that we can see just what's right in front of us a little bit at a time so if you if you want to be led by god and you want to be a wise man or a wise woman of God in, in 2019 and into 2020 now, you got to get in the Word. You also have to be praying, be in prayer, and, and grow to grow in your walk with Christ. So my question to leave you with this morning is, what is standing between you and Jesus? 900 miles didn't keep the wise men away. Five miles kept the religious and self-righteous leaders of the Jews away. But 900 miles, 800 miles, 900 miles didn't keep them away. So what's standing between you and Jesus this morning? And just to recap, the Magi were men who read and believed God's word and the scriptures, the prophecies that that Daniel would have brought with him and, and left them to continue to learn from. They sought Jesus. They recognized the worth of Christ. They humbled themselves to worship Jesus and they obeyed God rather than men. They were truly wise men. If 2019 is a year that you can't wait to get over with, and you're looking to 2020 as to be something better, a fresh start, fresh new, let me encourage you this morning, God wants to give you a fresh start. He wants you to be in a relationship with him, to follow after him with everything that you have, and you won't be, he won't disappoint you. I promise that. You might not understand everything, and it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be times of hurt or growth, but God is calling you, and he wants you to live for him, and he wants you to be wise, and a wise decision to make would be to follow him today. So let's follow the example of the Magi and work through whatever comes between you and the one only worthy of your worship, and that's the one true God our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's go to prayer. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, again, we thank you for your divine plan that you're orchestrating, you're working, even when we can't see it and even when we don't know. God, you're you're working all things out, Father, uh, for the good of those who love you. God is what your word tells us. So Lord, let us, I pray that each person in here would love you, God, and would, would trust you as their Savior. God, that they they wouldn't leave here today without talking to myself or without talking to someone else of of how to begin and start a relationship with you, God, and that that you would just be speaking to their hearts now. God, I thank you for, again, just your perfect plan of sending your son 2,000 years ago to be born to die. What was prophesied many years beforehand came to fruition through his birth and through his life and death and resurrection. And God, I ask this morning that you would continue to work in our lives if we are following after you. That you would give us the strength and the courage to obey you rather than to obey man or or care about what others think around us. God, that you would give us boldness, that you would give us the courage to, to seek after you like the wise men did. To to no matter what it costs us, God, that we would continue to follow you because we believe there's a day where you're coming back and we cannot wait for that day. Lord, we love you and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.